listening to Ouija Broads. This is Liz. This is Devin. Welcome to the new season. We're doing ah! seasons now, and I'm yes. so excited. It's marvelous. This season's theme is Skid Row. Ah, Skid Row. We've had yeah. so many people on social media guess kind of around the theme, but no one really nailed it. I will not blame them because, yeah. to be honest, I'm not 100% sure the exact bounds of this theme at yeah. this point, but I know some things that definitely go in it, and I'm very excited to tell you about the first batch of those tonight. Yes. Before we do, I want to thank some patrons who, if there's an overlap, I'm going to blame it on losing Golden Spruce too. Mm-hmm. But I would like to thank new and returning patrons Kathleen, Brian, Sarah, Amelia, Tisbury, and Lydia. Not my child. She Are you not, sure? It, even, I think even if she had the money, she probably <laughs> <laughs> can't listen to this. <laughs> There's too many curses. There's too many swears. No, I mean, she gets to hear some swears now, but mm-hmm. I'm at the phase where when she listens to somebody else curse, I'm not stressed out about it, but yeah. I'm not okay with her hearing me do it. Yes. Correctly. That's where that's at. So yeah, thank you to our new and returning thank patrons. You, thank you, Thank you to our continuing patrons and past patrons, mm-hmm. and welcome to the new season. This story kept developing even as I was <laughs> like trying to sit down and tell you about it but i have a lot of different little pieces because originally i was going to tell you about where the term skid row comes from yes i'm going to cover that very briefly but the actual place of it i'm saving for another thing because i found out what i thought was going to be a quick detour turned into a story about a very interesting individual and the very interesting people in his life marvelous We're going to talk about that as well, but let me go through kind of the pieces that make up the overarching theme. Yeah, since this is the first time we've done a series, I think it's really nice to orient folks to what we mean when we talk about the series topic is Skid Row. Yeah, well, what does Skid Row mean to you? (laughs) I know where the word comes from, but... In modern usage, if it's Skid Row, it's like the wrong side of the tracks. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, like the, it's the, the seedy part of town. Part of town. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's where the sharks and the jets have a rumble. <laughs> yeah, it's every town has a less well-off, more exciting part. <laughs> and uh, I think it's used metaphorically as well, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's, you know, he ended up on Skid Row after he lost his business. You're like, you don't literally necessarily mean that he moved, but... Correct. You're, you're creating a sort of general image. Yeah, down and out. Yeah, he's hit the skids. Correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which I'm going to tell you about now, because that actually comes from something. And okay. the term Skid Row and the term Skid Road, as you know, originated in Seattle. Seattle is the home of the original Skid Road. Because what a skid is, it is a word that comes from some Scandinavian language. Not totally sure which one. (laughs) But it's basically similar to the Old Norse word. I looked up how to pronounce this. Skeathed. Or something like that. Yeah. It's the same word that gave us skiing. It Mm -hmm. means like a piece of wood. A stick of wood. Yeah. And what they would do when they were logging these gigantic old growth timbers is make roads out of these pieces of wood, large pieces of wood, you know, Mm -hmm. skis, big logs. But you would take these gigantic tree trunks and move them along down the skid road. You would (laughs) move them along this road that was made of these sticks of wood. You also, if it's not working well, can grease the skids. That's where that comes from. There's another term. Okay. Yep. Which I looked up because I was like, well, grease with what? What do they have access to? So there's, from the logging industry in 1901, this quote that I found, the bears had been causing trouble by eating the tallow used to grease the skids, forming the roads over which the logs are hauled to the river. Oh. Okay. Tallow it is. Yeah, tallow, bear fat, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever they had handy that was not expensive Mm -hmm. is what they would use to, to move these gigantic logs along. Now... I will support the place that gave me 
the origin of the word skid, I am irritated at the folk etymology that they perpetuate here. Skids are laid one after another to form a skidways, so a lumberjack can roll wood downhill quickly, hence its meaning. It is this downhill motion that gave the expression the connotation of going into decline. And my notes here literally say, um, false. (laughs) (laughs) I was so offended by the falseness. folk etymologies because i fall for them all the time <laughs> and then i end up arguing with other people who fell for them sometimes like, she's like no i realize it makes more sense in a way but that's not the expression but it's incorrect I'm madam sorry it has got another thing coming i know what the band said but it's not another thing coming i'm sorry i agree it's wrong but it's the right kind of wrong. And no. <laughs> skid on the skids going into decline is not because the logs go down. Because obviously you can't just make a sort of exciting log flume. <laughs> you can't make a slide that just goes shoop, shoop. into wherever you're sending the logs. Like you are dragging them. Yeah. The pictures that I was coming up with for this is, you know, 12 oxen teams. Yeah. It is these huge amounts of pulling power moving one log along these giant roads. Yeah. No, where it comes from in downtown Seattle, it's now called Yesler Way. Mm-hmm. Used to be called Mill Street. Before that was the original Skid Road. It's still there. <laughs> you can still go to Yesler Way, yeah. formerly Mill Street, occasionally called the Deadline. Two words, Deadline. Mm-hmm. Exciting. And it is all about the story of Henry Yesler and his mill. Ugh. Henry Yesler is the person I'm going to tell you about today. I want to talk to you about the Skid Road. I want to talk to you about what life was like beyond the deadline. Okay. On in an area that was, let me give the sneak preview of this description. Perhaps never in all history, certainly not in America, has there ever existed such a massive collection of the demimond grouped in a restricted area. Sometimes they called it the tenderloin, down on the sawdust, again, because the mill thing, the lava beds. But I'm not here to tell you about that today. I am here to tell you about the Henry Yesler of Yesler Road. Okay. And believe it or not, I actually think this was interesting enough to put off all the stuff with Madame Lou Graham and box parlors and madams and tattoo shops and all that. Uh, this guy has got to be fascinating if he got you to mm-hmm. pass up these saucy little minxes that you're mentioning. Pioneer Square throughout has always had this element right it has hit rougher times and been revitalized but right now it's been a couple years but i feel like it's not that very destitute people aren't still there it's just that the buildings that they're around and the people who are walking past them have more money oh absolutely absolutely that schism between rich and poor is huge Mm -hmm. and it's Really, really depressing to go there in the daylight and see so bleakly that line between the haves and the haves nots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that line has always been there. And yep. in the 1850s, it was called Skid Road. Mm-hmm. And now it's Yesler and it's still there. So let yeah. me tell you about this Yesler guy. He also straddled the difference between rich and poor a lot of times in his Oh, life. did he? Okay. Yeah. He was one of Seattle's very early founding fathers. Mm-hmm. He was both the seventh and the 15th mayors of Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> really? But it, at that time, they were only doing a mayoral term for a year. Okay. So that's not as, like, drastic okay. as it sounds. Okay. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> did he do it as a freshman and then try yeah. it again after <laughs> retirement? What's going on? No, I mean, we've talked about this before. It was basically like seven dudes, and they just took they turns just being in charge of yeah. Seattle. That's yeah, very it, much the case right? here. It was like in kindergarten, where each day a new kid was line monitor. Yeah. You just passed around the little sheriff badge. Star of the week. <laughs> yep. Henry Esler was star of the week for 7th and 15th mayoral terms of Seattle. <laughs> he was also the first millionaire in Seattle, which is pretty impressive oh. when you think about the time period we're talking about. Dang! He was also an odd duck. Okay. 
Bill Spidel, who does the underground tour yeah. and gave us such great books as Sons of the Prophets. Yeah. And let's, oh man, I have another one of his like right around here and I'm drawing a blank on what it's called. I think he did a book about Doc Maynard. He's a real inspiration and influence, I feel like, in terms of finding the fun bits of history. Yes, he And is. telling it like a story. So I support that very much. And I found his work very helpful because he was one of the people who kind of broke the seal of silence around Henry Yesler. Mm. Because this guy got up to some shit. <laughs> but because he was, you know, the mayor and rich yeah. and a yeah. founding father and all this, they just kind of set all that aside or kind of did a ha You oh. know, Henry, that's his deal. But to me, he has a real kind of rogue energy okay. of the West that okay. I like. That kind of, why don't you just come out here and tell everybody whatever you want to have happen and whoever you think you are. And do whatever the hell you feel like. Oh my god. And just make it work. And yes. I appreciate yes. that. I, I, I appreciate it more than somebody who's like, I'm going to come out here and make it exactly like Boston. No. I'm going to come out here and replicate London as closely as possible. And by that, I mean the three blocks around the house where I grew up. You're like, no. No. Enjoy this place for what it is. Come is not out. That. Wear a two-tall hat. Have a bicycle with a really large front wheel. Be that first guy. Doctors are prescribing opium. Get a wife on a boat from the East Coast. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you, (laughs) you can be an eccentric out here. You can be a trailblazer. So just go for it. Do it. Uh, his name is Yesler, not Noner. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Yesler, the year of Henry Yesler, the lifetime. Just say Yesler. All right. So <laughs> he lived from the beginning a life that is not what you would expect of a respected founding father of a city. Okay. He was born in, and I quote, odd December. Sometime between 1810 and 1813. (laughs) Well, we sure narrowed that one down, boys. (laughs) Between 1810 and 1813, Henry Yesler Sr. and Catherine Stolter in Maryland. We know that they had Henry. We know that they got married. We know that they got divorced. We know that, and we know that they married other people. We don't know what order all that happened in, <laughs> because <laughs> we do not know. The records don't tell us. Like he would give an age later in the census that suggests more like eighteen twelve, eighteen thirteen, maybe. Sure. It didn't come out until after he was dead. Oh. And then some of his brothers and sisters were suing for his money, saying that he was illegitimate, which will be a recurrent oh. theme in Henry's life. I guess that kind of happens everywhere that money is uh, an inheritance yes. is determined by, you know, what side of the bedsheets you were born on. So he's always on yes. the wrong side of the line. But, he, I mean, even if it if the timing worked out... The scandal in 1810 Maryland of divorcing and remarrying, briefly being married, that's shocking. Yeah. All right, then everything is boring for like 40 years. Ew. I'm going to fast forward that part. All you need to know is he got married to a woman named Sarah. Okay. They had a couple kids. Most didn't survive. He did two water-powered sawmills in Ohio. He built and ran them, but he was not... This guy had a wandering foot, you know, mm-hmm. not a wandering. Well, he also had a wandering eye. We'll get to that. <laughs> but this was a person who had that instinct of as soon as things are not in complete crisis, chaos, startup mode, he is over it. He oh, wants Lord. to be doing the next thing. This guy's a so, Leo. <laughs> or an Aries. Now he was born in a December. A December, right? A Sagittarius? I don't think so. I guess he could be an Aquarius. That that tracks. A December. A December. <laughs> uh, like on Earth? What else don't we know mm-hmm. here, folks? I guess he celebrated his birthday in December. That's um about the best we can do, I guess. Yeah. So he 
decides that Ohio is not exciting. Okay. And he's going to go to California because they've discovered gold. Sure. In 1851, he goes west. He leaves Sarah and their son behind. The son is pretty ill. Okay. With unspecified, you know, unspecified 19th century childhood illness. Yeah, right. Take your pick. And he went all the way, the long way around, via the isthmus, I can't say that isthmus, I did it, of Panama. That's how he gets to San Francisco. Hey, excuse me? Seriously? <laughs> isthmus. <laughs> He went that way. Isthmus. I can't. Isthmus. Isthmus. <laughs> Say Christmas and then take out the cri. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> but the Panama Canal wasn't going to be built for another 50 years is my point. So. <laughs> Good point. I take it. <laughs> so he gets out and walks, I assume. <laughs> I guess on a different boat. But we don't really know exactly <laughs> <laughs> we don't know where he was specifically, and neither did his wife, because oh. we do know that she was just writing letters to various locations, being like, are you here? Are you in Panama? Oh my are you God. in San Francisco? Oh my are you God. Portland? What that's, are you doing? He was in Portland. My mom uh, trying to guess my favorite band, just <laughs> sending out random Paramours? guesses into the ether. <laughs> Is that anything? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> the nails? You like the nails? <laughs> Well, he spent some time in Portland because, of course, it's Portland, stomp town. Yes. Gig if you're a lumber guy. Uh Uh-huh. But he then went back down to California because he wanted to get in on the gold. He was not good at this. Oh, dear. He was not good at gold. And he started thinking about sawmills again. Okay. Because, of course, it's the West. It's 1850. There's a demand. Yeah. Oh, big he's hanging out with a sea captain, (laughs) as one does. Like you do. Like you do. And they're chatting. And the sea captain is like, you've got to go up to the Puget Sound. They have deep harbors. They have untouched timber. They have exactly what you're looking for. And Yesler said, okay. And got on a boat. His little shoulder angel, the sea captain. (laughs) Yeah. Sea captain just giving advice. Yeah. It was good advice. It was good advice. Yeah. He arrived in Elliott Bay in October 1852. Okay. Now, I have to go back to a mystery that we somewhat laid out accidentally in that potpourri episode where you just asked me a bunch of pop quiz questions. Because <laughs> you remember remember Washington's motto and how I didn't like it? Oh, I forget what our motto is. I remember your disdain. Alki. Meaning by and by. By and by. And I was like, that doesn't mean... <laughs> now I know. Now I know. Years later, everything comes around. When the settlers came to the area in 1851, they made a town site that they called New York. Oh, dear. Uh, New York is already the New York, yeah. you guys. Yeah, like, This is done. so lazy. But then they picked up a word from the Chinook jargon, yeah. meaning by and by. So they called it New York Alki. Meaning, someday this is going to be New York. Mm. <laughs> someday New York, I think, mm. would have been probably been better. Mm. You're not buying. You're not feeling it. No, I'm not. I, I no. still don't think it's a good motto, and possibly the legislature doesn't either. Because did you know this is the only state that does not have an official motto? Oh, <laughs> that's never been ratified. It's Gosh. never been made official. Gosh. It's never been adopted. We just we don't know what we're doing. No, I think then we're in a really good position to take up my suggestion, which, as you know, is fuck around and find <laughs> fuck out. Fuck around and find out. What are you going to do? Washington, the fuck around and find <laughs> out state. <laughs> Seconded. <laughs> you ain't robbing anything today. <laughs> what are you going to do? Stab, stab me? me? Oh, God. I love my collection so, of those. So good. <sighs> And of course, nurse kills Hitman down in Portland. Who sent you? Tell me who sent you and I'll call an ambulance. (laughs) God bless that nurse. All right. So he comes up. It gets worse, by the way, in terms of the names for the settlement. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. New York part de isn't bad enough. (laughs) 
Okay, so he, when he gets there, he introduces himself to, like, the six people that live yeah. there, basically. Yeah. Because even the various tribes in the area are not, you know, huddling up next to these weirdo white people in their little cabins. No. This is a very small encampment at this point that Yesler comes up to. Yeah. He paddles up the sound by canoe. Of course. Which is probably very pretty. I very bet. scary. And the Denny party... Only landed in Elliott Bay 11 months earlier. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he is right there on the spot. Fresh. When he pulls up to the eastern shore of Elliott Bay, there's a couple cabins there, and it's by these early white settlers. It's, you know, David Denny. It's Doc Maynard. It's the Denny party, and then a couple other people. Yeah. Here's what they're calling this little collection of hovels. Duomps. No. <laughs> Why? I what does know. that mean? I don't know. My guess Do-wumps. is that it was some kind of misunderstanding yeah. of some kind of Duwamish term. Yes. That, oof, like, I don't even know if that's how they said it. Right. But that's a really, that's unfortunate. Right. And unclear. Right. So, right around the time that Yesler rolls up is when Doc Maynard says, I think we should name this after my friend chief seattle yeah so he was in an interesting position i don't think we've talked about him for a really long time since princess angeline right but because the duwamish were matrilineal he had the chiefhood of that even though his dad was from suquamish Mm -hmm. tribe and neither of these were tremendously powerful at the time but there was this kind of strategic and social connection between this chief and doc maynard and Maynard is trying to enforce this. So he says, okay, let's call it Seattle. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. Okay. It's working out well for everybody because they need allies. They both need friends. And they're there for each other. I read recently that Seattle is the only major metropolitan city in the U.S. that's named after a Native American. Hmm. I can't confirm or deny that. But when I think of all of the places that I know... All the, the city names that yeah, tracks. Yeah, I guess there's there's words that are Native American words, but I don't think there's any that are actually named after a named person. Named after a person, right. Huh. No, okay. not a big one. That, all right. So, all right, Seattle, thanks for, uh, thanks for pushing right. that forward, Doc Maynard. Doc Maynard and Carson Boren scoot their claims apart a little bit. Okay. To give Yesler some room. Oh, that was nice. And he makes his mill on the water and he makes a cookhouse because essentially as soon as he sets up a sawmill he is the only employer (laughs) in washington territory damn (laughs) it's the only game in town marrow only game in town like he orders this equipment up basically some of it they they took off the big boat and little boats and some of it they just literally pushed into the sound and like <laughs> let it float on the shore <laughs> i like that, can't even imagine that cook stove's full of air it'll get there yeah how much you want to bet i think it's got enough air to get it to shore yeah it's <laughs> fine let's see even before the mill equipment arrives he builds this log cookhouse which is, as they call it, a low, long, rambling affair without architectural pretensions, which I yeah. think is their way of saying yeah. just a building, just a, a shack but long. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this is where everybody who ended up working for the mill would come eat because they worked 12-hour shifts. And it also became kind of the de facto social hub of very, very early Seattle. Okay. It had Seattle's first sermon, first court case. Right. first election oh gosh all these things happening in this building without architectural pretensions i was just gonna say yep looks like a yeah, saltine I mean, box turned on its side right they don't have bars they don't even have saloons they have yeah. none of this they've got some houses yeah which i'm sure are like really basically as big as they need to be for the people living in them oh yeah and not that much more yeah. and then nothing to like there's not a Fancy parlor with a piano yeah. and a fireplace. Yeah. But no, they have a cookhouse. Yeah. I can't imagine what the food was like. <laughs> I'm sh- but- <laughs> sure it was better than the alternative. So he is the only employer functional here. He's the only large-scale employer. 
he hired people from the local tribes, or I should say men from the local tribes, as well as the white men who were in the area. Okay. And that's how he got to know a man who he called Chief Curly. And I took the trouble to find this person's actual name because his real name was not Chief Curly. I don't Let me imagine. figure this out. <laughs> go. Oh, okay. His name was Sequardle. He was a Duwamish hereditary chief known to the settlers as Curly or Curly Jim. Okay. So he was presumably then related to Chief Seattle somehow Mm -hmm. in a way that I'm not tuned into. But, you know, he was from the same tribes that they were kind of building their alliances with. Yeah. All that said, this is where he meets Curly. This is where he meets Seattle. You know, he meets all these people because everybody's in each other's pockets. Yes. According to this, for several years, he employed almost every male settler in Seattle. Damn, dude. the only industry. Truly. It was a very successful industry. There's a lot of demand everywhere. Uh, His biggest customer initially was in California. At the height of the mill's productivity, it was shipping logs as far away as, you know, California, not California, as as Australia, Hawaii. What? They were processing a lot of timber and he was the only game in town. Yeah, he was the, I'm just like. For a while. California, (laughs) y'all had your own trees. What are you doing buying them up here? I don't know. That I don't know. One of the things that happened early in Seattle's history, I feel like it's this cutesy name that stresses me out. It's called the Battle of Seattle. And I'm like, (laughs) dang it, that's, that is what it would be called, you know, we'd call it the Battle of New Orleans or the Battle yeah. of, but the Battle of Seattle. Battle of Seattle. Like, you know, intensity in ten cities. It's You're going to pay for your whole seat, but you only need the edge. Yes. The Battle in Seattle. Sounds like what you call your peewee league hockey game finals. Yeah. The little five-year-olds yeah. are out there in gear that weighs more than they are having their battle in Seattle. It's like 1855, 1856, things are getting tense because I assume at this point it's becoming clear even to people who don't spend a lot of time interacting with this handful of people that these guys are planning to stick around and they really think they are entitled to all of this. Yeah. They manifested some destiny up in this bitch. (sighs) I feel like the version of history that I picked up as a child, and I'm not necessarily going to blame this on, you know, history textbooks for fourth graders. I don't think I always grasped how much settlers were coming into intensely complicated political situations already. Me it was always like neither. the settlers and the Native Americans. It's like, no, this was like, you want more territory, you want the better river, you want to get them back for the thing they did. And then, you know, the white settlers just roll up. Yeah. And one of the times that this becomes a shooting war, the Yakimas come up from eastern Washington, the Nisqualis come up from the south. On January 26, 1856, there is an attack. And this thing went into legend so quickly. Not least because, you know, there's not a reporter standing yeah, <laughs> trying to keep right. track of what's happening. Right. Everybody's just running around like wild. But what you can put together is the reason that the settlers who were there lived is because people warned them and helped hide them. So one version of the story says that Catherine Maynard, Doc's wife, was transported by Indians from Port Madison, quote unquote, born the settlers. Most popularly, people like to attribute it to Princess Angeline. Mm. She was... The chief's daughter, and she passed this information along. But actually, I have an article that Yesler himself wrote for the Puget Sound Gazetteer. Oh, gosh. Where he talks about the Angeline myth. And he says, no, it wasn't Angeline. Although I like that he takes a moment and says, every bit of food or money or company that she has gotten out of that story is not even close to what she deserves. Uh, so I'm not even worried great. about it. But he says, no, it was not her. It was Curly. It was this guy. He met an old woman who was going over to see where Chief Seattle was at. He was on the reservation at this point. And she mentions that they're going to come wipe Seattle out of existence. The town. The tiny settlement. Okay. And he tells Yesler. And Yesler tells Captain Gert Gansevoort aboard the sloop of war Decatur. Uh Oh. This is confirmed by somebody else from the time who 
confirms the story and also fills in some details that Yesler did not in his version. And I think it'll become clear why. Okay. The Indians were pressing us pretty close, and it was considered the part of wisdom to put the women and children above the warship. I was in Seattle that day. Mr. Yesler's woman did not take kindly to the idea of going on the ship to live, but was at last prevailed upon to do it on account of the baby girl of which the father was very fond. Now, you may recall, Mrs. Yesler is back in in Ohio Ohio. Mm -hmm. with their son. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. This is something that I feel like academics in this area can probably do a better job covering, but just to very briefly touch on this, essentially every white man living in Seattle at that time had a woman from one of the area tribes who was in some kind of common law ambiguous relationship with him. Okay. For one thing, I don't think these guys knew how to live without maids and wives yes. and domestic labor. Yes. I think there's kind of this way of talking about it as though it's sheer entitlement and it's sexism and it's all this. And it was. But it was also a really good way to make sure that you were in good with the people who actually lived there. Yeah. The way that these relationships played out, as I understand it, for the most part conferred upon these guys certain privileges okay and obviously you know probably some of these guys were pretty disappointing to their in-laws i'm sure he's one of these puts it but also if you marry somebody by american law which you can do until 1855 you can get twice as much land oh gosh yeah well well you can claim land for your wife I don't believe Yesler did this. He did claim the he did claim the land for Sarah. Uh-huh. He did not claim the land for this young woman. Yeah, well, she we don't know a ton about her mm-hmm. because she kind of disappears from the historical record after a certain point. Okay, she was believed to be Sequardal, aka Curly's daughter. Okay, which kind of explains you know these guys are very close. Yes, this is something apparently. Doesn't impair their friendship. Okay. She has a daughter named Julia in 1855. They didn't officially have birth certificates at that point. Okay. But he's living with this young woman okay. named Susan. And he's living with Susan and Julia, you know, called Susan. I'm sure that was not her name. Right. The people of the era are actually kind of affectionate toward how affectionate Yesler was with her. Okay. He provided for the Indian woman and looked out for her welfare and for that of his daughter by her. He gave his daughter as good an education as circumstances would permit. And I like that in this part, it was like, you know, the baby girl, of which the father was very fond. You know, he's, yeah. he's got this young woman in his life and he has a daughter and he's very fond of her. But there's only so far that can go yeah. in this time and in this place. Yeah. I'm going, oh, God, Yesler, no matter how much you, best case scenario, perhaps loved them both dearly, this isn't going to end well for the wife or the baby. You're putting her in a in a very tricky position. Yeah. Right but this is less of a big deal for Henry to do than it would have been for a lot of other men of his era. And we'll get into why. Okay. When we talk about Mrs. Yesler, the official <laughs> Mrs. Yesler, Sarah. Oh, Mrs. Yesler was an interesting woman. Like, they've been married for 11 years. So he's 40, she's 29. Okay. When they get married, and then they're together for 11 years. He sells the mill in Ohio, you know, these mills that he's not excited about. Right. Leaves, and he says, Sarah, I'm going to send for you as soon as I'm set up. And she goes, okay, you got two years. <laughs> and he's like, well, give me three. I'm going to Panama first. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to go across the isthmus. The isthmus. <laughs> he leaves in 1851. By 1854, she is like, what's the whole thing? <laughs> <laughs> he's got his mill running. He's up in Seattle. And he's like, no, it's dangerous. Lumber prices have dropped. We can't afford it. In 1856, she's like, cut your losses and get back here. Yeah. No, 
going to wait for the railroads. Lumber prices are going to go up uh-huh. again. It's going to be great. And in 1858, she goes, shut up. I'm coming over there. <laughs> so He just didn't this, want Sarah to rain on his party. <laughs> I think he was kind of like, can you just hold off, Sarah? I don't have a plan as to what I'm going to do about this. Yeah, right. Like right. I just, I, you're kind of out of sight, out of mind, Sarah. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't imagine you're getting warmer toward me as this goes on. <laughs> yes. I'll just send some money back. Is that not good enough? Not good enough for Sarah. All right. Now, their son, unfortunately, is already sick. She leaves him behind with relatives so that he doesn't have to make the trip and he passes away. Oh, God. Sarah Yesler is very influential in early Seattle. She is considered Seattle's first librarian. Oh, wow. She was on the committee that set up the Mercer's Bells expedition. Wow. She worked for women's suffrage. She helped found the children's home. And when she came, when his wife came, he did not do like many others, drive the girl back to her tribe. <laughs> Mrs. Yesler, when she came and found Miss, Mr. Yesler, the father of the little daughter, took the little one to her home and treated her as her own child. Now, everybody who writes this talks about it like, obviously, that's fantastic. And I'm like, oh, she had a mother. She had a mother. What is this about? What's happening here? Yeah. But we don't have enough insight into what was going on privately to really understand, I think, uh, how they decided to make that choice. That's it may have been easier for Susan to kind of walk away from the situation and go find somebody else and figure it out. Or maybe she was miserable. We really have no way of knowing oh, because we don't have her story right. at all. That's just so hard because I really don't want it to be like she was strong-armed into giving up her baby so a white family mm-hmm. could raise it in this horrible Seattle is now colonized kind of awful way. God, I really want to think about it as a blended family, Mm -hmm. you know, where she's going, well, kiddo's going to have access to uh, different things that money can provide. Like Ah. so many of the people like this in these stories, we don't know what she had to, what she had to figure out. So anyway, it happened. Probably at least some of it was done in a way that we would not feel good about. Yeah. I'm sure. But Julia, the daughter. Okay. Julia. She is sent to live with another settler for a while. And I guess this this one resource says Susan went too, to go live with Jeremiah Benson. And okay. later, Julia is still considered part of that household in the, ni- in the 1870 federal census. She's 15 at the time, and she's listed as Julia Benson. Okay. So she marries a white settler named Charles. She has two children. She's actually the only known child of Henry Yesler who survived into adulthood. Oh, no way. Right? So, like, his sons all passed away. And we have Julia. Okay. Who, in her obituary, it says that her mother died when she was 17. All right. And then she went to California with Charles B. Pierce, who's another person that Yesler used to work with. And she actually still has descendants to this day. That's neat. So the only descendants we have of Yesler are through this young woman from the Duwamish tribe. Oh, that's cool. From Descended from Chief Sequardle. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> In 1900, they started to collect information on where you were born. And Julia says, my father was born in Ohio, which is not actually where Henry was born, but it's where he was living before he came out to Washington. Yeah. And she puts her mother's place of birth as Washington. Okay. She was born in 1855. Yes. (laughs) So if her mother was born in Washington, we know this is the Julia. We know this is somebody who was born to people who've been living in Washington a long time. Yes. Yes. Oh, no, that was it. Time immemorial. So I'm going to circle back and tell you a little bit about Mrs. Yesler. Which one? She was what they call, yeah, Sarah. Gotcha. Sarah's what we might call a staunch character, as you probably picked (laughs) up from her. Staunch. (laughs) Uh, How she responded to Henry kind of dragging his heels and dicking around. One of the things about Sarah and Henry's marriage that's very interesting is they believed in free love. 
Oh. In, in 1855 or so. They were spiritualists. They were into that kind of church. Oh. And they believed in all kinds of exciting things. But one of them was basically, we're not beholden to each other in terms of oh. sexual monogamy. So Sarah really did not have that big of a problem, presumably, yeah. with Julia and Julia's mother. Yeah, she probably didn't. Oh! Because Henry didn't have a problem with her girlfriend. Oh! So. <laughs> Yo! Talk to me! <laughs> so, historic lesbians, hello, I'm awake. Yes, I know I sold this to you as historic lesbianism, I think, in fairness, First of all, we can't put the labels on. And secondly, if anything, is bisexuality. However. How dare you? So they were like, they were into seances and they were oh, into free love. My God. Sarah had very close female friendships. And this is one of those things where I dug into it somewhat. There's a scholarly work that I would have to get a hold of before I could get more information. Because, of course, the same snippet gets passed around over and over. There was this young widow named Eliza, who was also a fellow spiritualist, mm -hmm. and they were very intense Ugh. with each other. Ugh. Here's from a letter Eliza wrote Sarah. Oh, Sarah, I wish to say so much and I cannot say anything. I want to sleep with you again. And then here it says, hey. <laughs> you can't just say hey. hey. <laughs> a letter? What does that mean? Hey. Hey. Oh my what? god. <laughs> what? I want to sleep with you again. Hey. Hey. I don't know. Oh. I would like my I God. would like to step into your bathing room tonight and take an ablution and you might shower me too. And I think I wouldn't squeal so bad. Whoa. Whoa. What are you doing? Hello. I'm now that said, as much as I want this to be beautiful women loving women in 1850s. I also have to acknowledge that, you know, standards are, it was very normal for people to share beds, including people of the same sex. It was very common, especially in the Northwest, because there just weren't that many beds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was more common socially, to be physically affectionate, all this kind of stuff. But apparently people did start to talk just because of the sheer amount of time that Sarah and Eliza spent together. Like, Sarah came up to Seattle and then went down to San Francisco for six weeks to hang out with Eliza. Yes. Yes, she did. So I want to read this book because there's at least two women who allegedly, according to these authors, had intimate, long-lasting relationships with Sarah and to be clear, I want to look into this because I want it to be true. Yeah. And I want to know about it. Yes. I don't remember whether this was in Washington or in California, but there was at least one Methodist preacher who would include a prayer for this godforsaken couple, exact quote, <laughs> in his Sunday services. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. They built some of the first nice houses okay. in Seattle. And they would have, you know, seances and readings and all kinds of things. Oh, astrology. Of course. Very into astrology. Oh my. They had this itinerant spiritualist slash con artist named William Henry Cheney, who would do sessions at their home. A friend of theirs left Ohio. This is somebody who they knew through the church back in Ohio. She had a bad relationship with her family. She goes to Seattle to be with them. She meets Cheney at their house, becomes infatuated, mm. follows him to San Francisco, because apparently San Francisco is like next yeah, door. Yeah, I cannot right. believe how often these people are popping down right. to San Francisco. I've never been to San Francisco. Get out of that. She gets pregnant oh. by the spiritualist, mm -hmm. and he abandons her. <gasps> and then... She gives birth to a son. She meets and marries a widower. There's a lot of children out of wedlock in this story. Apparently. She meets and marries a widower and gives the boy his last name. Because obviously she's not going to call him after Cheney, this dick. Instead, she's going to call her little boy Jack London. What? <laughs> yeah. What? You mean Jack White Fang? met in the Yesler's house. You mean the writer... <laughs> Eminent of the Yukon, yep. my God. 
Yep. Jack London. <laughs> the Jack wow. London. Wow. They I really hope that Sarah had a good time. Oh god. It sounds like what is even the point of being the first millionaire in Seattle if you can't go wild like this? Uh, and have girlfriends and do whatever. And right? yes. Yes, have seances, no. bring in clairvoyance, yeah. get your astrology done. Have yeah, a let authors get conceived. Let, uh, like, right, go, go to wild. go to San Francisco. I mean, <laughs> yes, we can. We can. <laughs> yes, look, we can. <laughs> Between the two of them, Henry and Sarah basically do the first everything in Seattle. And I'm not going to list all of it because it's probably not interesting unless you're actually involved in, you know, the school board or whatever. Right. They did build several homes because Sarah did not want to live in the cookhouse. And I don't blame her. No. He did tend to build houses that she thought were over. They were like too much for her, not her thing. She was a minimalist, perhaps. Yeah. But not so minimalist she wanted to live in a cookhouse. That was, what was it? Architectural. <laughs> I don't even remember was, at this point. Right? Architectural. You know yeah, that just feels like one of those camp cabins where you're like, I can see outdoors. <laughs> through the walls. <laughs> through wall. the walls, exactly. Not through the mm. windows. Through mm. the walls. Unfortunately, Sarah does not live to a particularly ripe old <gasps> Daddy age. Daddy Sarah. Her, no. I know. When she's in her 60s, she has some kind of gastric thing happened and she passes away okay not long after they moved into their mansion on the block between third and fourth avenues at james street because this was a yesler home and she was the first librarian in washington according to some Mm -hmm. the property gets donated to the city of seattle and it's actually the public library for a couple years until it burns down (gasps) because seattle burned down constantly yes following news of the fire the philanthropist Andrew Carnegie donates $200,000 for the construction of a new main library. Oh my god. Which is kind of tainted because there are people who were like, he wouldn't give us the money before yeah. because we had this and now it burned down. We maybe burned this house down because we wanted to build a new library and we thought we could get him to pay for it. <laughs> not fraud. Not arson. Who's to say? None Who's of those. Say? The law firm yeah. that I worked for was in a Carnegie library. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think of you every time I drive past it. Yep. That home, Sarah does not get to live in very long. Mm-hmm. But somebody else does. Before I get into that, I'm going to give you a chance to talk a little bit about our sponsor. Jesse Sells Land is a kick in the pants. She sells cool stuff. She sells haunted houses or haunted properties. She sells old properties. She sells antique properties. She she sells Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana history at all kinds of price points. And I've had a lot of really good conversations with her saying, hey, one of your listeners reached out to me. They're <laughs> doing they're doing a film set in Washington. Oh my god. And they are working with me to find them a property where they can film that has this and this and this. Or they had questions about their own home and they were asking me for historic real estate services. That is so cool. She's just been a really cool resource and a lot of people that go over to her page are like super vibing with her. So I would suggest to all of our followers that you go follow Jesse J-E-S-S-E, sells land on Instagram. You get to check out the property she's selling. She now has a drone, so she's doing some really cool aerial shots. She's just fun. I just like her. She's been our sponsor for quite some time now, and I'm so glad that she stuck around with us through this season. Yeah, I am a big fan. I found the Instagram link, and now I'm looking at properties over 100 years old. Oh my god, what is this place? This looks like a whole ass mansion. Click. I'm trying to click. Show me this place. (laughs) Whoa! It's the Tudor Rockwood Mansion. Oh! That's for sale? Yeah, it is $2.9 million. No. That one that's like right kitty corner to that other mansion I'm obsessed with, right? Oh! The, the Tudor one with yes. like the, the half. Oh, I mean, 
it's worth it alone just because I love seeing inside other people's houses for, like, real estate stuff. Yeah. And this is the houses that are really worth seeing inside. So yes. you should check it out just for that. So yeah, Washington State Land for Sale dot oh, com yeah. or, or Jesse Sells Land on Instagram. Yes. So thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Jesse. Yesler goes back east to visit extended family with okay. one of his many close male friends, business friends. I'm not trying to also set him up as uh-huh. having had these romances. I don't know. I'm doing but it in my he head. Goes and visits his extended family, and he meets the daughter of a cousin on his mother's side, whose name is Minnie Gagel. Minnie and her mother moved to Seattle in 1888. So Sarah dies in 1887. Yeah. Minnie and her mother moved to Seattle in 1888. Wait, let me do a little math. <laughs> Henry's in his 70s. Henry's almost 80. Gotcha. Minnie's in her early 20s. But you see where this is going. Yeah, Minnie Giggles is about to get (laughs) an old-ass husband. (laughs) And money. Uh Uh-huh. All three together form this family unit somehow. Yeah. I don't know. I don't don't know if he was already close with this cousin on his mother's side or if he's just in it for Minnie. But they go on a trip to Maryland in 1890, and when they come back to Seattle... They say, oh, well, Minnie and Henry got married. Uh Uh-huh. Of course, everybody's like, oh, okay, early Anna Nicole Smith. Exactly. This is very questionable. And Henry, as usual, is like, I don't care. (laughs) I'm not concerned about this. No. I'm doing whatever I want. I'm taking her to Alaska. (laughs) We're going to go to Yellowstone. Jesus. You... (laughs) Feel your yeah. age, man. No. He wants to take his young 20-something yeah. wife on yeah. a tour of Alaska and yeah. Yellowstone again yeah. in, like, the late 1800s. The late 1800s, when he's in his late 1800s, thank yeah. you very much. He's pulling a King Henry marrying Kitty Howard or whatever, where he's just Seriously. like, yes, I am young again. You're like, what do you have to talk about? But, Not a- oh, well. Many had the mansion after he passed away. So Henry passed away, let's see, the morning of December 16th, 1892. So he didn't get sick in December, you're right. (laughs) He didn't get sick in Alaska or Yellowstone. He got sick when he got back. Yeah, like you do. And passed away. And of course, everybody loses it because he's rich. But as I've alluded to, he was actually really bad at business. Okay. He just occasionally got lucky and he kept moving. He was perpetually doing that, like, leaping from the rock that's crumbling out from under you <laughs> to jump onto the next thing. <laughs> Which meant at any given time, you didn't know whether he was broke or flush. Okay. Which made the disposition of his will. At that point, his fortune is estimated to be more than a million dollars. Oh my god. Oh my god. It becomes a huge bone of contention. I bet. Loman, this friend who took him back east, yeah. and the other city fathers of Seattle say, where's that will that says that the town gets all his money? Oh, yeah. And Minnie's like, what will? Uh-huh. I'm his wife. Uh-huh. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh-huh. Loman sues her and says, you destroyed the will. We don't know whether it ever existed in the first place. Sure. And she lives there until 1899. And then, in honor of Sarah, gives it to the city for the library. Oh. I think that's very sweet. That's so classy. Minnie obviously does not feel good about Seattle. I feel safe saying that. Yeah. Whatever her relationship was with Henry, now he's gone. Yeah. I don't know what her mother's doing, except that they moved together to L.A., with oh. the money, presumably. Yeah. She dies in 1973. My goodness. At the age of 105. Yeah. Me. That's what happens to the second legal Mrs. Yesler. Yowza. Keeps trucking until Star Wars times. Yes. Yeah. She saw computers happen. She saw the moon landing. He came in to Elliott Bay when five people lived in cardboard boxes. <laughs> <laughs> and his third, second, his his last wife makes it past the moon landing. The moon landing, my That's God. wild. That is wild. Now, one of the things that casts some 
very Anna Nicole Smith energy over this, is that Yesler was unfortunately not one of the people who preserves their sharpness and intelligence and awareness as they Uh, age. He was subject to some kind of form of dementia. Yeah. And decompensation. Okay. One of the reasons why Loman is so involved in this, Loman, I should have said, is a son of his half-brother. So, of course, Loman is, like, in with the family, and there's all this complicated stuff going on. He starts helping out because Yesler is getting scammed. Yeah. And I say... Yesler was always getting scammed. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just now he has enough money to actually make it worthwhile. I was going to say, I think some of the times this Yesler was the man under yeah. the Scooby-Doo villain mask, pulling also it off true. himself. In the story oh, about dear. the Battle of Seattle, he talks about betting on something, losing a bet, and he's like, but, you know, I don't actually believe in gambling, so I don't know if that bet ever got paid. <laughs> Oh, goodness. You just told on yourself. You told That's on yourself. One of the things he did later in life, he just seems to be a guy who was like, he liked big plans. He liked things that would just change everything at once. Mm-hmm. He wanted to do a lottery. He wanted to get rid of a bunch of his property and consolidate. Okay. Which he owned a lot of buildings. He sold a lot of buildings. A lot of his buildings burned down. <laughs> he couldn't legally have a lottery to give away his sawmill and this other stuff. So he tried to lobby the legislature to make a law for that. And he said, you know, I think you should give 10% of the proceeds to the, you know, UW basically and other schools. And they're like, yeah, but it should actually be for a wagon road over Snoqualmie Pass. So they pass an act to aid in the construction of a wagon road across the Cascade Mountains. Some people feel like this was more, a nice gesture toward Yesler because he was old and they wanted to give him the chance to do this lottery because it was important to him. Okay. He starts advertising the first grand lottery of Washington territory. So you could get one ticket for five bucks or 11 for 50. No. Which I'm like, I, I would balk at that today. I would as well. What are you doing? I'm- I mean, you could win a sawmill. <laughs> I won't pay $5 for a cup of coffee, though, Liz, you know? (laughs) First prize was the sawmill and the land it stood on. Okay. Second prize was one of his commercial lots at the corner of what's now Yesler and First. And he had 5,573 other prizes involved. What? Including 4,500 cash awards. So I don't know if that was just like, you get your five bucks back or what. Yeah. But hundreds of lots of property in Seattle were theoretically involved in this. Some of them were things he already owned, and 470 of them were things he bought specifically for the lottery. What? Sometimes paying for them with lottery tickets. (laughs) You shouldn't have helped him with this. Nobody should have helped him with this plan. It was a bad plan. Here's the thing. Single tickets for five bucks, eleven dollars for fifty. He has sixty thousand tickets to sell. Thousand tickets to sell. Guess how many people live in King County? Oh dear, thirty five hundred. <laughs> thirty five hundred people, and he wants to sell thousand tickets. And of course, no, sorry, thirty five hundred people, of whom some put their own property in his prizes in exchange for tickets to this lottery. In the whole Washington Territory, if you count the people who are, like, new settlers, including women and children, it's, like, maybe 50,000 people. There's not 60,000 people with American money in the entire Washington Territory. He's what are you thinking? He's just gonna go down to San Francisco, because it's apparently right next door. Yeah, just pop over the border to San Francisco, as does. <laughs> Uh, I wonder how many of these people are like, okay, I'll buy a, I'll buy a ticket. I mean, it's Yesler. I feel mean not buying a ticket. <laughs> it's like when your neighbor kid is selling you $5 band mm-hmm. candy. And you're like, mm-hmm. I guess I'll buy the stupid gift wrap, I suppose. So two weeks before he's supposed to do the drawing, he says, I'm going to put it off until January 1877. It was supposed to be drawn on July 4th, 1876. Oh. He's actually, I'm going to do it at the beginning next year no then the people who opposed lotteries because it is kind of gambling filed suit and a king county judge says this 
magic law that you made up just to let this old weirdo do a lottery is not valid. <laughs> you can't do this. Because, of course, once he can do a lottery, lots of people are like, I can do a lottery too. Totally. A lot of people are charged. He's let off with a $25 fine and court costs. Okay. And then, in 1877, the legislature passes an act to provide for the recovery of certain money raised to aid in construction oh, of a wagon road no. Cascade Mountains. Oh, no. Basically, a law that says, Henry, give us whatever money you did come up with, okay? Oh, my God. We're pretty sure that never happened. Oh, my God. One estimate is that he probably walked off with about 30 grand. Now, but, what he put into well, it, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Did he con himself? Did he play himself? I don't, I don't understand this. I don't know. I feel like he has a lot of that, I'm going to start five projects and finish none of them energy. Mm-hmm. And it was greatly helped by the fact that because the historians who were trying to lionize him didn't know what to make of incidents like this, they would just leave them out. <laughs> <laughs> So much ended up on the cutting room floor. Yeah, they're like, this just doesn't, this is out of, really out of character. This is sidetracked, doesn't really go anywhere. Just complete boondoggle <laughs> of a subplot. Yeah, abandon that storyline. <sighs> we, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're over it. So yes, as you, as you said, in a December in 1892, Yesler passes away. He's buried in Lakeview Cemetery, like they all are. Like they all right? are. So he's there with Princess Angeline, Doc Maynard, Bruce and Brandon Lee, all mm-hmm. the greats. His mansion, as we said, became the home of the Seattle Public Library. The King County Courthouse is now on that site, okay. evidently. There are a couple buildings that are still Yesler buildings or Yesler sites that you can see. For instance, the Pioneer Building. Oh, yeah, downtown. yeah. That's where he and Sarah lived in a simple frame house across from the mill. And then after the fire, he put up the Pioneer Building. Really? That's how fast the town was growing. Wow. Like, we need businesses. We need offices. We The Pioneer Building's quite beautiful. Yeah. The corners of it remind me of the turret in the Spokesman Review. There's a section that has the rounded turrets on, on a corner. I don't remember the architect's name, but... It is very good for the architectural cohesion of a city to have a giant fire right while you're in a very financially prosperous time. Because they definitely got a lot of the buildings that are still around built in the same style. Like, they had a brick shortage. Yeah. Like, crap, we're all going to build bigger and better. We can't all do it at the same time. Yeah. It was one of those that was designed by Elmer Fisher, and he did a lot of the... Brick buildings right after the Seattle fire. Yeah. Did you know that off the top of your head? I knew it and then looked it up on Wikipedia to confirm. I am impressed. That's very cool. So Yesler went on his own exciting journey with many interesting women in his life. Yes. (laughs) Who all had their own stories to tell. I wish we'd gotten more of Susan. Yes. Feels like a guy who really embodies what I like about the pioneer spirit. I obviously do not care for the manifest destiny aspect of it or yes. the colonialism of it. Yes. But I like the energy of fuck around and find out in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. this guy says there's a lot of trees up there. I'm going to just take a boat and go. I'm going to yeah. see what happens. Okay, yeah. I live here now. All right. Let's yeah. go. Like, yeah. I'm going to marry my 20-something cousin. Why not? <laughs> Why not indeed? I'm not going to make a damn will. Because with some oh people, you're like, okay, this guy was so organized. I don't believe he... No, I completely believe Henry Esler would not have made a will. Like, he left Sarah sitting there in Ohio for, like, eight years. Oh, yeah. Because he couldn't come oh, up yeah. with a plan as to how to divide his own self yeah. as an asset, let alone Correct. a million dollars later. Like, this... I think he was probably just like, it'll just end up with Minnie and she'll figure it out. Yes. And she kind of did. The road that was the skid road that he brought his logs down to build the foundation of his fortune became the dividing line between the mill workers and the richer people in Seattle. And that gap kept widening as mm-hmm. it became Mill Street, because of course mm-hmm. it's a street by the mill. And then it gets renamed Yesler Way. But forever, it really is the original Skid Road. 
to this day. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. I know some stuff about Yesler. So whenever you see his name on things in Seattle, I want you to think about this free love. Yes, I will. I will deal with it tomorrow problem solving kind of man. (laughs) Indeed, I will. (laughs) He's got this chaotic good energy. I can tell that you're vibing with. I'm not going to say he was a good influence or that he did more good than harm. Sure. Almost certainly not, right? But he did, for instance, during his mayoral term, push back very hard against anti-Chinese racism that was happening in Washington and would not allow them to be expelled from Washington. Sarah, as well, there were riots and they had a cook who was Chinese and she barred them inside the house while a mob was outside and refused to give up this guy Fuck to this yeah. mob that wanted to hurt him because the the racism against Chinese people was so intense at that time. Fuck yeah, Sarah. I'm like, all right, I don't know that you guys made all moves I would agree with, but I can respect that and the library and the free mm-hmm. love and the whatever mm-hmm. the hell you were doing whenever you went down to San Francisco yeah. and the ablutions and the yeah. whatever we were doing Sleeping over. Sleeping in the same bed. Yeah, with hey. Eliza. Yeah, I mean, seances can be quite intimate. There's a lot of hand-holding. The lights Indeed. are low. Very You're dim. Really trying to be very aware of your senses. It's yes. a little bit dangerous and sexy. I can see it. Yeah. I can see it. Bless yeah. them. Oh. She's often cited when we talk about queer history, LGBTQ plus history of Seattle. She's often cited as one of the first pioneers from that community. Okay. And I'm like, mm, yeah, I'll count it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Works, Works for, me. for me. If I find out more later, I will, of course, let people know. But that's a story of the guy who eventually gave his name to the road that inspired the theme of this season. That's my story. What a great intro to a season about this. That's the energy of, of Skid Row that I want to bring to this. Yeah, I don't know that every single story is going to be linked to Seattle necessarily, but thematically, this mm-hmm. is this is where my energy is. I've, mm-hmm. We'll see. We're going to see where we go with this. But mm-hmm. I just love that you brought me this story. This is so great. Living in Seattle, of course, I've seen Yesler everything for the past. How long have I been here? Nine years. It'll be ten years next year since we moved to Seattle. I still think of you as having just moved to Seattle. Just see, moved to Seattle. Be. No, okay. Well, you... You moved to Seattle, but then you moved away or something, right? Well, yeah. So we moved to Seattle in twenty. <laughs> like I, I'm asking this, like 12. I don't know and have no way of finding out. Yeah, right. I was like, Liz, I was in Boston for eighteen months. Did you hit your head? Like, do you no, not I, remember that? Literally, all I was thinking about is, I'm like, no, you moved to Seattle while we were doing the show, so it can't have been ten years. But I think you moved there more than once. I think That's I, what I did. Think. I think you're right. I think I, Piece this puzzle together. I solved your Seattle <laughs> story. Cracked it. Another <laughs> one closed. for the books. <laughs> Case closed. Oh, good uh, times. We're back. We're going to be releasing more episodes on this theme. You know where to find us. It's all you your do. favorite podcatchers of choice. It's Podbean. It's iTunes. You can go to our website at WeJabrods.com. Hit up the socials on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or just continue to subscribe and access the way you've been doing. You seem to know what you're doing. I trust Clearly. you. If you want to throw it a little bit of money, we're on patreon.com slash We're basically doing what we've been doing in terms of early releases, uh, uncut episodes, and then the warm-ups that we do. And occasionally, like, we just, you know, have a cocktail and go look at way too much expo merch. So. <laughs> and start taking pictures of all the stuff that I have in my house. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Those are all the places you can find us. We are so happy to be back at it and happy to have you with us. And as always, you know what we want you to do. We want you to live weird. To die weird. And stay weird. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Did you forget how that went? Yes. (laughs) 